Well, friends, I want to welcome you into this online space together. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And as we continue our teaching series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled, Who is Jesus? And we're doing a kind of overview of this important book in the New Testament, which records the life and the ministry of Jesus. So let me just uh, take a few minutes of reminding us of where we've been thus far. We've set the stage. We've overviewed the Jewish family history that Jesus emerges from when he's born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, fully God and fully human. And then we looked at how Jesus was tempted in every way like you and I were and are, and yet he resisted temptation and did not sin. And then we saw in the story of uh, Rabbi Irving Salzman and then Pastor Jason last week about how Jesus taught with divine authority. And then uh, chapter 7 of Matthew ends with the comment that when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. And so today we're gonna to turn our attention to Matthew chapter eight and chapter nine. And we're gonna see that Jesus is claiming to be God, not only in his teaching, which we've seen in chapters five through seven, but also in his actions. Now, you may or may not be in a place where you believe what Jesus says about himself or what others say about Jesus, but I want you, even if you're skeptical, to focus the lens today on what Jesus does. Because when we focus our attention there, we begin to see that Jesus acts like God acts, with compassion for all of creation, particularly those who are on the margins, and with authority over all creation, particularly over sickness and the spiritual realms such as the demonic and even death itself. So turn with me uh, in your Bibles or on your devices to Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to see in these two chapters accounts of 10 different expressions of Jesus' authority. There's 10 specific miracles that are recorded here where Jesus demonstrates authority over sickness, over nature, over paralysis, over the demonic, and even over death. And we're not going to look at each one of them in detail, but what I want to do for us today is to draw some through lines for us to explore what do we see in common with these expressions of divine power and authority. And then we're going to ask the question, what might that mean for you and for me in our world today? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 1. And the first encounter that Jesus has at the start of Matthew 8 occurs as he comes down from the experience of teaching on the mountainside. And as Jesus is walking along, a man approaches him. But this is not just any man approaching for a healing. This man, the text tells us, has leprosy. Now, let me pause for a moment and just remind us of a few things here about this man's condition, because we're not really that familiar with leprosy, either ancient or modern. But people who were inflicted with leprosy, and notice here that I'll be putting the person first before the disease. This is a man with leprosy, not simply a leper. These people were social outcasts. And this is because their disease was incurable by ancient standards. And so it required for them to pursue extreme self-isolation. Not just for two days or for 10 days or for 14 days of isolation, but for the entirety of their 
natural human lives. To have contracted leprosy was essentially a death sentence. This was a communicable, cutaneous, a skin disease, and so they were not to come close to anyone or anything, and anything that they touched was to be burned lest someone catch what they had. And yet Jesus does something so countercultural and so revolutionary that it shocks those who are around him. And as we look at how Jesus heals, one of the through lines is that Jesus responds with compassion as his primary motivation. If we think about even in the Old Testament, when God appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, and God says, I want to reveal the deepest part of my character to you. And so Moses is actually hidden in the cleft of a rock, and God passes in front of Moses, and God says, I'm here to show you who I am. And God says this in Exodus 34, 6, I am the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And this refrain is repeated again and again in the book of Joel and in the book of Jonah when the prophets are calling people to repentance. They say, return to the Lord for God is merciful and compassionate. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene to show us most clearly what God is like, Jesus, remember, always looks like God. And so Jesus responds to human need and suffering like God does with compassion as the primary motivation. See, when God heals someone, like happened with that man with leprosy. This is a wonderful expression of the mercy and compassion of divine love poured out on us as humans. See, compassion always compels us to move toward need. Why? Because the heart of God is a heart of compassion. And friends, this is why we engage not only locally, but also globally in works and acts of compassion as a church. Here I think about people with the genetic condition of albinism living in Tanzania and our ongoing partnership with Under the Same Sun. While people in their society reject them because of the lack of pigment in their skin, we move toward them in compassion and in love. Or I think about India and the lower castes right now who are being denied oxygen because higher status people in their culture can pay for medical access. We move toward people who are suffering because of compassionate love. Or I think about Bethel Ministries in Guatemala who distributes wheelchairs and food to those who could never afford them in rural and remote areas. And we do all of these things because, friends, the heart of God is moved with compassion and Ours is to be as well. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is simple. Is my heart moved with compassion or have I constructed theological rationalizations for others' misfortunes? See, if our hearts are not filled with compassion, it can be easy to sit back and say, well, that's not my problem. Or I wonder if that person has maybe sinned in some way. Maybe that's why they're sick. But friends, this is not what Jesus does. He moves toward need and suffering because his heart is filled, not with questions, but with compassionate 
action. And so that's the first healing event that we have recorded here in Matthew chapter 8. I promise I won't spend as much time on each one, but I wanted to say that particularly here, that in this first one we see so clearly Jesus responding with compassion as his primary motivation. And then secondly, we see that Jesus responds to faith, but not formulaically. The second healing story begins in Matthew 8, verse 5, where Jesus simply speaks a word at a distance and the servant of a Roman centurion is healed. Let me read it for us. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Oh Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, many Gentiles or non-Jews will come from all over the world, from the east and the west. They will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has happened and the young servant was healed that very hour. In the first healing, Jesus says the words, I am willing, and in the second one, he says, I will come. But the amazing faith demonstrated by a a non-religious insider, a Roman occupying centurion of all people, so moves Jesus that the healing comes to this man's family even though Jesus doesn't make a physical appearance. Because you believe it has happened, Jesus says. Powerful words. But see, friends, this is not some kind of formula that somehow you have to just muster up just enough faith and then somehow God is obligated to act. There's no kind of faith-o-meter that you can use to test if you have passed the threshold for your healing. And that's why I'm saying that divine healing is not formulaic. It's not predicated on you saying the right words or being in the right place at the right time with the right people. I know many of you who would have loved to have claimed your healing already, and God has, for whatever reasons, not granted you that on this side of eternity. Because we see also in this passage that Jesus heals people, but he doesn't heal everyone. Jesus responds to need, but not universally. In his time here on earth, Jesus did not heal every sick person who crossed his path. There were still people who were sick around him when Jesus ascended into heaven. And I think this is important to say, because if you're experiencing illness, this does not mean that God is not inclined with compassion towards you. Jesus did not heal every single person who had leprosy in Judea. He did not set every single demonized person free. When and where he does, where God's healing power is poured out 
uh, in it's a sense of prophetic fulfillment and anticipation of that one day moment. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, it's reported that this is a sense of prophetic fulfillment from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, that God said, God promised when that God showed up that he would come with healing power and that that would be an evidence that God was working amongst God's people, taking sickness upon himself. And we see Jesus doing that ultimately on the cross, removing disease, and we get these little foretastes of that in the here and now. And there are many, many ways that God does this, not just divinely, but also through science and medical technologies and advancement. And there are also, as Betty bore witness to in her own journey story, times when God does intervene directly and personally and powerfully in an individual's life to release and remove sickness from them. And friends, many who are part of Jericho can testify to times in their lives where God has healed them, when they've prayed and invited others into that process, and where God has moved in power and supernaturally brought healing into their lives. And the scriptures teach us in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that the Spirit of God gives great faith to some people as a gift, and to someone else the Spirit gives the gift of healing. And the scripture also nudges us to action in the book of James chapter 5, verse 14, where it asks the question and says, are any of you sick? Well, you should call the elders of the church, those with spiritual authority, to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, and such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Friends, we have people here at Jericho to whom God has, in God's grace, given these kinds of gifts, gifts of faith, gifts of healing. And, and it would be our joy and our delight to see God's grace exercised in their life and in yours to see God's healing power come. And so if you would like, I want to invite you, if we were in person, we would just invite you to come to the front or the back of the auditorium. We would lay hands on you and pray for you. And friends, I long for the day that we can do that again soon. But I also want you to not miss this chance just because we're doing this digitally, this moment in time to actually press in and ask in faith for your healing. And so if you're sick, and you're joining us via the Church Online platform, I want you to reach out and click the Request Prayer button now. That's going to put you into a private chat with our pastoral team who would love to pray for and with you for healing. And it doesn't have to be a big deal, big sickness kind of thing. Just reaching out and expressing need can be a good spiritual practice for you. And some of you may want to do more than just a chat about that. You may want to come in and meet with us. And we have our lounge set up for physically distant pastoral interactions. And we have a team of people who are ready and willing to pray with you for healing. And so if you're feeling stirred, you're feeling nudged, something inside of you is saying at this moment, yeah, he's talking to you, then I want you to reach out. I want you to email us at prayer at jerichoridge.com and we would love to set up a time to pray with you for healing. Whatever kind of healing it is that you need, if that's emotional healing or healing from spiritual abuse or physical healing or healing from your past, we are here in this season of your life to see healing come and that God wants to touch you. And so we're here as God's 
conduits of grace. St. Augustine said long ago when he was referencing and teaching on the experience of the woman in Matthew chapter 9 who presses close into Jesus amidst the crowd, Augustine said, quote, multitudes still come similarly close to Christ in the means of grace, but all for no purpose being only sucked into the crowd. Friends, I want you to be instead like that woman who purposed to reach out to grasp the very hem of the garment of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. And as she reached out in faith, she received healing. I feel a little bit like I'm getting all old school charismatic on you, but this is in my heart, friends, for you to know that God cares for you and that God has a heart of compassion for you. And that means that we do here as well. I've been so privileged to see with my own eyes some of you experience healing, and I, I want that for you. And so I want you to reach out and, and be in touch with us. All right, we need to keep moving because we're going to push into several times where Jesus heals people who are possessed or oppressed by the demonic. And one of the particular evidences of the kingdom of God coming in power is actually conflict. And so I want to say that when it comes to healing, sometimes you are not set free without a fight. And those of you who have struggled with or continue to struggle with addictions know this particularly to be true. Matthew chapter 8 in verse 28, Jesus comes into a region and two men who are possessed by multiple demons approach him. They meet him. They come to challenge him. They live out amongst the graves, the text says, and they're so powerful that nothing and no one can restrain them. And so all the people steer clear of that area. And one of the key distinctions here is uh, that there's people who come to Jesus out of need and desperation, but those who come uh, under the influence of the demonic come to challenge his authority to prevent God from interfering with them and their hold on these men. And we see this also repeated in Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 to 34, a man who cannot speak because of a demon preventing him from that. And Jesus takes authority over the evil spirit and casts it out. And immediately, instead of rejoicing with the man or the friends and the family, the religious leaders say, well, it takes one to know one, Jesus. And they accuse him of casting out demons because they think that he is the prince of demons or somehow affiliated with the demonic. And we don't have time today for a full treatment of demonization here, but if you want to do a deeper dive on this topic, we do have some sermons on it on our website. So you just scroll down to the bottom and use the search bar, and that'll bring up a number of talks where we've gone into more detail about the supernatural realm and the demonic. And I'm also happy to talk more with you. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email me at brad at jerichoridge.com. What I want to say here is simply that when it comes to being set free, there is often a spiritual battle. And this is connected to the fact that Jesus is about the inbreaking good news of the kingdom of God, and the evil one does not like that and will do all in his power and authority to prevent it from happening. We can see that the goal of Jesus' healing ministry was not to become a sensationalistic sideshow. Notice, for example, how often he tells people to be quiet about their healing. 
Jesus wants to see the kingdom of God come in power. And this is the place that where people to believe and receive and enter into that expression where their lives are not controlled by the dark forces or principalities or powers or rulers in heavenly realms, but instead their lives are transferred and transformed by the kingdom of God and the good and loving presence of the reign of the king of kings. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of compassion, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom where those who are enslaved are set free. And for some of us, in some areas of our lives, there is still an ongoing battle that we will experience until our last breath. But it is worth the struggle and the effort to pursue freedom. And I want to make sure that before we wrap up today, you hear clearly an invitation to step into that place of life and liberty and out of that place of darkness. At the end of these chapters, Matthew offers up a kind of summary of what Jesus was up to. Look with me at Matthew chapter 9, where it says, Jesus traveled through all of the towns and villages of the area, verse 35, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of of disease and illness, not every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, the reason that these 10 expressions of authority and healing are brought to our attention out of all that Jesus said and did is to undergird and to put a period on the sentence that Jesus is Lord over all. These accounts tell us how much authority Jesus has in creation. Everything from wind and waves, demons, paralysis, illness, death are all subject to his authority. And then, friends, the implications and expectations are clear. Do you and I rightfully acknowledge Jesus' authority over us, over you? Maybe this is a new thing for you. And today is the day where you take that step of saying yes to Jesus. And if you're watching on our church online platform, just click that button now saying yes to Jesus. If you're watching on TELUS or YouTube, I want you to email prayer at jerichoridge.com and let us know, hey, I am ready to take that next step. As friends here in the West, we like to think of ourselves as all sophisticated and polished. We're not like those people in other jurisdictions who come all desperate to Jesus because they can't afford to rationalize away God's power or compassion. But as I read through these chapters again this week, I was struck again by areas in my life of my own brokenness, places where I'm still stuck, places where I still am unable to free myself. And so I want to invite you, like the man in the video who suffered from leprosy, just to come and get close to Jesus, to be bold in your approach to the throne of grace, confident that, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, we will find grace to help in time of need. And you can do that by taking a physical posture. Maybe you kneel. Maybe you open your hands to Jesus and you just say a simple prayer. Jesus, I need you. Maybe you take some time to name those specific parts of your life or those specific parts in your body that are not whole and you ask God for grace and mercy to come and for the healing power and presence of God to give you strength 
or to give you sustaining hope for the trials that you're walking to. This too is a gift of grace. But in order to get well, you have to acknowledge that you're sick. You have to push in and say, God, it's me. I am one of the sick people in need of a spiritual doctor. I need you to heal me. I need you to take away my brokenness. I need you to make me whole. I need you to open my eyes and let me see. And with many, I cry out. And I want you to cry out, Lord, I believe. Would you help bring healing to my areas of unbelief?